Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2 Porno Radio and AM 950. How are you? Happy June. Happy 1st of June. And happy Pride Month, okay? Here in the Twin Cities, June is considered Pride Month. If everyone, uh, and do you know, want to know why that's the case? Because back in 1969, the Stonewall riots occurred in June. Um, and June has always been associated then with Pride. I know, a little factoid for you. So it's happy Pride Month here in the Twin Cities. Um, unfortunately, there will be no Pride Parade, no Pride Festival of any kind um, because of the pandemic. So there's going to be some kind of a virtual Pride uh, that is going to take place here. But but um, certainly given that it is uh, the start of the month, I do want to highlight a couple of idealists who are LGBTQ. So our big interview is with uh, Jess Braverman, the legal director of Gender Justice, uh, which in part litigates on behalf of uh, LGBTQ humans. And of course you have me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. Uh, but uh, let me, uh, let me uh, first highlight the passing of a – LGBTQ, a transgender idealist, and then I want to talk about our featured idealist. So I just need to talk in passing that we have lost um, Amy Stevens, who I highlighted back in October of 2019. She's a trans. She was a transgender woman. She is about to make history one way or the other because she got. She was um, a funeral director. Her funeral director home, uh, you know, employer fired her when she transitioned on the job. She ended up filing a lawsuit over that and then her case, she's going to make history um, in um, in death um, because her case was argued before the Iowa – excuse me, for the US Supreme Court last fall and the court is going to decide that case sometime this month, um, either in favor of transgender people or against. So – but – Amy passed away and I just want to make sure that I honor the fact that um, that she she's she was a very, very brave person as I spoke about back in October. All right. But let me begin now also with our featured idealist who is Dan Savage, whose name some of you will recognize from his love advice column and podcast Savage Love. Uh, and I should note that just like when I highlighted Larry Flint a couple of months ago, uh, Dan Savage is kind of a controversial person. And uh, some of you may be surprised about me naming Dan Savage as a featured idealist. Uh, and for sure, he is with controversy because of some of his statements, which have been outrageous and some of the stands he's taken. But there's one thing that he's done which I will get to, which squarely lands him into the idealist category. First, the basics. Dan Savage is 55 years old. He was born in Chicago to a very Catholic-centered family, and he attended Catholic high school. He later obtained a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree from the University of Illinois at Urbana. By that point, he had come out as a gay man. At some point after college, he worked at a video store in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where he had befriended the co-founder of The Onion. Now, many of you are familiar with The Onion, which is – it's a parody newspaper, a parody magazine. Um, the co-founder told Savage back in Madison that uh, the co-founder was moving to Seattle to start a weekly alternative news newspaper 
Savage at that point made a very offhand comment about, well, you better include an advice column in that uh, newspaper. And the co-founder suggested that Savage try his hand at writing the advice column. And voila, Savage got the job. He moved to Seattle as well. From there, eventually uh, Savage uh, you know, grew a syndicated column, Savage Love, and then eventually a podcast, Savage Lovecast. He's made appearances on MTV, Real Time with Bill Maher, Anderson, Three Cooper, and a, a number of other different media outlets. Some of Savage's advice is pretty brutal, honest, and biting. Um, he's taken some real shots at conservative politi- politicians as well. I know our listeners will appreciate that, like Rick Santorum. But uh, Savage is also truly an idealist for one big reason. In September of 2010, he founded the It Gets Better Project, which works to assure LGBTQ youth that life will get better, that it will improve once they are past high school, where very often they are bullied and marginalized. The It Gets Better project has more than 50,000 video testimonials by LGBTQ people sharing their stories of surviving bullying and getting past other challenges to where they can live authentically and thrive. I've got to tell you, I spent uh, some time yesterday on the It Gets Better website listening to uh, various testimonials. And I've, I, there, I had a couple of takeaways from that. One was, um, you know, um, I sh- there's a part of me that sure wishes that I had transitioned genders when I was 20 rather than age 52 um, because the idea of having been able to create my life from age 20 as Ellie Krug um, is so appealing the other takeaway from the videos is that they are incredibly, incredibly moving. The videos have been viewed by more than, you know, more than 50 million times and counting. Um, and this is huge because I urge you to Google, quote, it gets better, okay? The project will come up just that way. It just – it gets better and you'll easily find the project. This is all important because in this Pride Month – Right now, particularly with the fact that we have had all humans isolating, but you need to understand that for our teens and for our preteens who identify as LGBTQ, the bullying has continued for them. It continues online. So it's a double whammy for LGBTQ-identifying younger humans. They're alone. They can't be with their pals who provide support, but then they're still getting the bullying online. And it's important to understand this about those folks, those young folks who are struggling. So please, will you do me a favor? Will you let them know about It Gets Better? Okay? Will you, for if you have a younger LGBTQ person in your life, will you, first of all, ask them how are they doing? Okay? Incredibly important. And secondly, uh, will you spend some time and listen to them? Um, Let them share their stories or their experiences of late. And then will you guide them to the It Gets Better um, website? And maybe even if it's possible, the two of you watch the video together. Um, you can maybe do a Zoom and bring the video – bring up the website and, bring, and and the videos, although I guess you can't bring up websites on Zoom, but you, you can work around it. Um, have a young people person in your life. They'll be able to tell you stuff. 
you know, um, on top of all of that, okay, if you have somebody in your life who is struggling, who is LGBTQ, and, and trust me, they will be well aware that this is Pride Month. They'll be well aware. I mean, what is Pride Month generally about? Pride Month generally is about the idea that um, recognizing that it's okay. <laughs> Not only is it okay, but it, it should be that you are allowed to live authentically as your true self. So your younger people are going to be aware that it's Pride Month if they are hurting and if you just simply listening to them isn't going to be enough and if them simply watching a video um, on uh, the website, it gets better. If none of that is good enough, will you do me a favor and help them find a therapist or a support group? I mean, you, there are, you know, there is Reclaim out there, um, R-E-C-L-A-I-M, that have support groups for LGBTQ youth. I've had somebody on before from the Family Tree Clinic. They operate support groups. Family Tree Clinic is in St. Paul, so is Reclaim. Um, help them find somebody that they can talk to. Please, will you do that? I mean, that's, I mean, that's called allyship. It's also called saving one's life because, um, trust me, there are younger LGBT identifying people, right? LGBTQ identifying people right now who are hurting, who are thinking it is too difficult to go on, who are getting these messages every day. I mean, not only from their social network about being bullied, but they're getting the messages from the U.S. government and from certain state governments. Will you, will you do what it takes to protect them? Finally, our featured idealist, Dan Savage, he's married. He's married uh, to a man and together they have a son who is now in his 20s. So um, Dan Savage, yep. Uh, controversial, yep. Idealist, absolutely. So I didn't understand that before I started researching him. I'm glad that I did and I'm glad that I could tell you about It Gets Better. So follow up and, and uh, have a happy pride. All right. When we come back from our break, we're going to speak with another idealist, Jess Braverman from Gender Justice. If you like what you hear with my uh, show here, please, will you tell others about it? Because I am like trying to get this show to have a much bigger footprint. And um, if you like me, you know, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I would love to have you come to the website. I'd love to have you talk about my work with other people because all of my work is online right now. And I absolutely need, you know, word of mouth. All right, and follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug and follow me on Instagram at Ellie J. Krug. We'll be back in a minute for the big interview with Jess Braverman. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures, Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. 
Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. So um, please go check out the website. It gets better. And particularly if you have a young, um, younger LGBTQ human in your life because it's incredibly important. And now talking about other LGBTQ humans, I have on the line with us for the big interview, Jess Braverman, who is the legal director for Gender Justice. Jess, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for having me, Ellie. Oh, well, um, you are welcome. And I hope that you didn't mind. I just called you an LGBTQ human. I, I, I think that you are publicly out. I hope I didn't just out you. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I, I've been publicly out longer than I've not been out. OK. All right. So just, uh, you know, um, so there we go. All right. Well, Jess, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. And, um you know, uh, I had wanted to have you on the show for a while here, um, in part because I've gotten to know you through Gender Justice, um, and and you are the legal director for Gender Justice, right? I am. That's correct. All right. Can you? Uh, why don't we start out by um, first telling us about Gender Justice, and then we're going to learn about you because you are quite the idealist. <laughs> Um, so Gender Justice, you can find out more about us at genderjustice.us. That's our website. But we are a nonprofit advocacy organization. We advance gender equity through the law, and we do that through a combination of legal advocacy and policy work. So we push for change through the courts, um, through advocacy letters, demand letters, and by trying to get good legislation passed and, you know, we, you know, we just have a, a vision for, you know, for a world where gender isn't something that holds people back in society. Right. And so, I mean, you, you, uh, gender justice prosecutes, uh, lawsuits, um, on behalf of women and, uh, transgender people. I know that for sure. And maybe you also prosecute on behalf of men where the issue is uh, about gender. Yeah, absolutely. We have had, uh, cis male clients too. Okay. So, uh, cisgender, uh, male would be non-transgender, uh, people. We just need to make sure the audience oh, sure. understands what yes. cis means. So, so Jess, um, and, and gender justice, I mean, the nonprofit has been around for what, about a dozen years or so? Uh, yeah, actually this year was going to be our, it's our, well, it is our 10 year anniversary. We were going to have our, uh, 10 year gala in June, but because of COVID, we're, we're canceling that, but it's been, yeah, 10 years. Okay. And, and you, you do not know this, but I actually sat with the founders of Gender Justice 10 years ago as they were getting it off the ground and, and offered some advice and perspective to them. And I've been able to, um, it's wonderful to watch the organization grow from an, its infancy to now it has quite a reputation here in not only in the Twin Cities, but um, it, in, certainly in the Midwest, if not nationally, for the work that you're doing, right? Oh, yeah. I, I would say that's true. When I go to conferences across the country, people know us for some of our litigation. Um, I know Christy Hall, who's our senior staff attorney, has been with the organization since the start. She knows a lot about health law, 
access to healthcare, uh, especially access to healthcare for transgender clients, transgender patients. Um, we had some big wins in that area um, that ensured that providers, insurance providers can't discriminate against their transgender clients. They can't deny across the board treatment related to, you know, gender affirming surgery, that sort of thing. Um, right now we have a lot, we, well, it's with the Department of Human Rights, but we have a case where we're advocating for a trans athlete to be able to participate in women's sports. That case has got a lot of national attention. Um, but we are really excited about it. We believe that the Minnesota Human Rights Act protects her right to participate in women's sports, and we are going to fight for that. Good. Please do. Um, you and I both know that Idaho recently passed a, a law, I mean like a law prohibiting uh, transgender um, women from participating in sports both in high school and at the college level. It's just unbel- yeah, it, unbelievable. It, it's absolutely egregious and it would subject young women, transgender women and cisgender women to invasive tests to have to prove their gender, all to participate in even – you know, high school sports, it's its just absurd. It's just ludicrous. It is. It is. Okay. Well, that's what gender do, uh, justice does. And again, give us the – give our listeners the website because I know that the nonprofit is always looking for donations as well as it's looking for support. So what is the website again? Uh, it's genderjustice.us. Okay. Great. Now, you are the legal director for Gender Justice. You are a lawyer. And a graduate of uh, NYU uh, Law School, one of the best law schools in the country. But you are not you are not a native Minnesotan, just like I'm not. You are you grew up um, um, in New York, right? In the city. That's correct. I grew up in the Bronx, so in the boroughs. All right. So tell us because there's a story here about your life that I think is incredibly important for everybody to hear. Let's start off. You have grandparents that were. Um, were involved in the Holocaust. They were um, they were um, held. Is that right? Yeah. So my family's from the USSR. So my my parents actually immigrated over here with their parents. So my grandparents and parents together. Um, they were in concentration camps. All four of my grandparents. Um, and I think I understand they lost a lot of relatives, a lot of siblings there. Um, but eventually they – well, obviously they were freed. Um, they was, remained in the USSR for a while, and eventually they were able to get out, and they moved to the U.S. Um, with my parents, but as separate families. So my parents actually met in the U.S. in the Bronx. Okay. All right. And and then uh, – so you were born in the Bronx, and, and your family um, is Jewish, and you, you started out um, at, a, um, at an Orthodox school. Is that right? Yeah, so from kindergarten through eighth grade and also for synagogue on, you know, for, for the holidays, for Sabbath, for all of those things, I went to an Orthodox school and an Orthodox synagogue. So that's, um, it's very religious. It's very, um, like men and women sat separately, um, to pray. We didn't have gym class together. It was very small. There were maybe 23 kids in my grade. Um, yeah, and it, it, you know, we learned, we learned Hebrew. Most of our learning were, you know, we learned the Torah, uh, you know, the Jewish book of laws, all, all kinds of things like that. And then we'd also have, you know, math and English. Okay. Well, and the reason I'm having you on the show, particularly on, you know, the 1st of June, the beginning of Pride Month, is because you know what it's like to have grown up in a family where LGBTQ people aren't necessarily favored, as well as a school system and then um, – 
and, and, and then making your way through life. And so could you, could you share us uh, a little bit with us about, you know, the, the challenges that you had and, and the struggles that you had? Yeah, so, you know, it was hard. My, my school was not supportive at all of LGBT issues. It, I mean, the topic never came up, but it was clear that it was not, it was not something that was accepted. Um, and I should say, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of sex or, or groups of Judaism, movements in Judaism that are very LGBT affirming. It's not an across the board Jewish thing. It's just the, the environment I grew up in. Um, so it was very much, um, not in favor of, LGBT rights at all. Um, you know, like I said, men and women prayed separately. One of the prayers that the boys would say is, you know, thank God for not making me a woman. It was, you know, it was very, uh, wow. a very, yeah, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to use the word traditional. Um, and then my family, um, you know, they, they dreamed for me to have kind of the traditional Jewish wedding. I'd meet a boy and, um, we'd get married and, you know, in a synagogue with a rabbi, it's what all my cousins were doing. You know, it, it seemed to them like the only way, but it was pretty clear from a young age that I was different. And I think they couldn't quite put their finger on it, but, um, you know, I, I want to say I knew from a very young age, but, um, I don't think I quite knew what gay was at that time. It was the, you know, it was the eighties and nineties. <laughs> um, and even in New York city, it wasn't at least where I lived in the Bronx, it wasn't something that came up an awful lot. So, um, I had a best friend that I met through summer camp who came out when he was like 11 and I was 12 and that was really young. That was very unusual, especially for that time. Um, and so, you know, I got kind of a sense of what it was. And then I, I think shortly after that, I realized that I was gay. Um, I didn't tell my parents. I ended up going to a secular high school. Um, I told my mom at some point and you know, we we didn't talk about it for a couple of years, right? Um, and it was pretty awkward. So okay, so yeah. Jess, I'm going to have to just stop you right now because we're going to have to take a break. Okay? okay, but when we come back, I want to hear more of your coming out story, and then I really want to get into how you became an idealist. Okay. All right. Sure. Okay, listeners, we're talking to uh, Jess Braverman, who is the legal director for Gender Justice and just a, a rock star organization. Um, and uh, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com because I would love to talk with you. And um, we'll be back in a minute to talk more with Jess Braverman. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Did you know there's deconstruction funding available now for homeowners and contractors in Hennepin County? If you are embarking on a remodel or teardown this year, consider hiring Better Futures Minnesota's deconstruction crews instead of demolition. By taking a house or building apart by hand instead of destroying it with heavy equipment, the materials can be reused or recycled instead of going into the landfill. It is much more cost-effective and is a carbon-neutral solution. Go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com and look under Business Services to learn more. (laughs) 
And we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. And I, we've been speaking with Jess Braverman, who is the legal director for Gender Justice based in St. Paul. Jess, before we took the break, um, you were starting to talk about how you had come out um, as – I'm assuming as a lesbian to your mother when you were in high school. And it was the kind of thing, as many families do, where you told your mom that and you didn't talk about it for a while after that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We didn't we didn't talk about it for a long time. Um, I remember, you know, my dad was the one who was always talking about the Jewish wedding and pushing it. And I remember him, he he started like showing up in my room more and just looking at me. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. And, and I think my mom told him, um, but I didn't know she had told him. And, you know, it took a few years, but eventually we were actually at a cousin's wedding. And we were my, my mom and I were sitting together and she just turned to me and said, OK, so what's this gay thing? And then she just seemed suddenly relaxed about it. Like we both kind of laughed. And um, it's it's actually been a lot better. And in the last I would say the last 10 years or so, it, it's just gotten a lot better in terms of family acceptance. Well, you I mean, you've gone on and you're, you're married now to uh, a woman, right? Or that's correct. Yeah. You know, a biological human uh, a, a <laughs> yeah. female. And. Um, so, I mean, you, you have gone, you, you've gone on and had a wonderful life. But, um, before you uh, went to NYU, you went to Smith College, um, and, and you were, you learned there about how, uh, transgender people in particular, um, were marginalized, uh, at that time in what? That would have been in, in the, uh, early 90s? Uh, so I was at Smith in 2001. It okay. was 2001 to 2005. Right. Okay. And you learned yeah. about transgender people being marginalized at Smith, right? Right. That's right. Um, so Smith is a traditionally women's college. Um, and when I was there, they didn't really have – I don't think they had an official trans policy. I think I had heard that a trans woman had applied. I believe she had been rejected at the time. Um, and we were – you know, some friends and I were kind of pushing to make Smith more inclusive of transgender and gender nonconforming students. Our point of view was, you know, we all understand what oppression based on gender feels like. Let's not do that to other people. Um, you know, there were people who would kind of make these arguments. Oh, you're taking away from the women's experience. It's a women's college. You're letting, you know, they would say things like you're letting men in. And I, I think that's a fundamental it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of, yep. you know, gender diversity there. Um, but people were very harsh. They were very vehement about it. And it, it led to a lot of fights and arguing. Um, but by my last year at Smith, I think the atmosphere had gotten a lot better and people were a lot more inclusive. And I think since that time, Smith has updated their policy. I believe they now allow transgender women explicitly. I, I don't believe they allow transgender men, but, um, you know, that, that took, it took a lot of kind of fighting and arguing and, and figuring out the best way to kind of present the information to cisgender women who hadn't really thought a lot about gender diversity. Um, and it, you know, it, it kind of opened my eyes to how much people can kind of, um, feel this need to, to protect themselves at the expense of others and, and <laughs> not really interrogate the question of, do I need to protect myself from people? You know, it, it's, you know what oppression feels like, but you're kind of protecting yourself from the wrong, the wrong group, the wrong people, the wrong, um, it, you know, that's not really where your oppression is coming from, but uninterrogated, you know, I think it's very compelling for people and it's, it's, it's scary and disappointing to see. 
Well, and, and obviously it was really great experience for you because you started to hone your skills as an advocate. And you eventually then went on to NYU Law School, as we talked about earlier. And while you were at NYU, you got to in, uh, be involved with a number of different uh, clinics and, and working with uh, um, youth who were interacting with the court system. Do I have that right? Yeah, so I, I worked with youth in the court system right after I graduated. But while I was at Smith, I was in the Immigrant Rights Clinic and um, I did LGBT or trans rights work with Sylvia Vera Law Project and Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund. I got to do some access to health care work, some housing law work. I got to do a pretty wide gamut of um, public interest legal activities at NYU. And New York City has so many legal nonprofits. It's wonderful. So you can really get a good sense of, you know, what it's like to be a nonprofit lawyer in so many different fields. So I really took advantage of that. So, and listeners, we need to juxtapose what Jess was doing at NYU Law School and afterward with um, traditional law path at NYU and other law schools where it's to go on and make a whole lot of money working at a big <laughs> law firm or going in-house with some uh, corporation. And But here you are, Jess. I mean, Jess, it sounds like that was never something that you even considered, that instead you knew that you were going to go and try and make a difference in the world. Do I have that right? Yeah, I, I had never even considered it. I wouldn't go. They did, they did law firm recruiting where law firms would come and buy people dinner and I think even like iPods. You know, it was it was just kind of wild. This was right before the recession. So I graduated during the recession. Um, but the recruiting was intense and I just had no – interest in it. I kind of knew I wanted to do public interest law. And I picked NYU because they had a loan repayment program. If you do public interest law, they help you repay your loans. And out of all the schools I applied for, they had the best one. But there was a lot of pressure to go to go to a big law firm. There was a lot of pressure to do either that or to clerk, which means you kind of are you work with a judge, which is a very good it's an excellent thing to do, but you're not going right into practice. You're not going right into representing people. Um, the school likes it because it's seen as prestigious. You right. can clerk with a federal judge, you can clerk with a Supreme Court judge, you know, and, and it is prestigious. It's it's a great thing to do. But there was a lot of pressure to do things other than, you know, go to housing court and stop people from getting evicted <laughs> and that sort of thing. And there was there was really nothing much in terms of um, plaintiff side law firms that, you know, that was just kind of absent from the scene, which I think is really interesting. So you got out of law school, you and we just need to do it very quickly. You, oh, you sure. represented kids in family court in Brooklyn for six years um, and, uh, you know, doing juvenile defense work and understanding for all of these kids were not white, right, that were in, in juvenile court in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, I can think in six years, I can think of maybe one or two white clients I had that entire time. And the things they were being arrested for, you know, some of them were serious, but some of them were stuff that was not – even it, it did some of it didn't even come close to the things I saw my peers doing in high school. I went to a very um a very wealthy a very, kind of an infamous New York City high school. Um I was on the Bronx bus, so there was a bunch of us who would get kind of bust in from the Bronx, but you know, kids wired to the things I saw my clients get arrested for. It was just so stark. It was so unfair. Um and you know, it, it really just motivated me to keep doing that work. You you just you know, it, when the when the law comes down on kids, it's it's harsh. You know, you get branded as a juvenile delinquent and, you know, that goes on your record and it follows you and you're desensitized to the court system and you're desensitized to the criminal court system. It, it does a lot of harm. Um, and so I was very motivated to, to keep doing that work. And so I 
I kept doing that work for a long time. Well, and so to get you here to Minnesota, you, you ended up, you know, falling in love with somebody and then uh, she was from Minnesota and that's how you got here to the Twin Cities. Do I have that right? Yep, that's correct. And so we moved to Minneapolis and I got a job with the Hennepin County Public Defenders doing felony adult defense work um, in Minneapolis, so in the 4th District. Okay. And then you've been with Gender Justice for about a year as its legal director, right? That, yeah, it's almost exactly a year. So, so Jess, we've got about four minutes left. I just want to talk about what made you so idealistic, okay? I mean, uh, you know, you, you grew up in a family that had plans for you, okay? Um, and uh, those plans got derailed because of your authenticity. Um, you end up, you know, you, you certainly, this high school that you talked about, I am positive that there were a lot of tracks for way things other than idealism there. What, how did you get so idealistic? Um, you know, it's so hard to say. I, I want to say part of it is, is my family. Um, you know, we don't see eye to eye on political stuff. There's a lot of Trump voters in my family and a lot of um, conservative views. Um, I, I know my parents probably wish I went into corporate law. Um, but at my, my grandfather passed away a couple years ago and at his funeral, the, the rabbi kind of gave a speech and they said, you know, if you had told him when he was younger, when he was in Birkenau, which was the, the concentration mm -hmm. camp, that he would die at the age of, you know, 89 in New York City surrounded by family, he never would have believed it. And, you know, it was very moving, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not so sure, you know, he's, he was kind of a, a optimistic keep going kind of guy you know any sort of obstacles that went in his way he was very kind of nonchalant about them he took them in stride and i think you know my family's kind of got a point of view of you know life is what it is bad things happen and they pass and then you know and and i think i i don't know how much i've appreciated it but i do think despite all of our differences that's probably where i got the point of view of like you know let's just work to you know people's bad things happen in people's lives, but you can, you can help turn things around or you can help, help them down a new path or you can help them see maybe there's a silver lining. And I, I, I think that's probably where it came from. Well, and, and, and I mean, you are living, I mean, literally the life of an idealist I and mean, every day you are doing that. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you've had, you have, you've made the trade-offs of, you know, of, of, uh, you know, Forgoing the big salary and, and all of that stuff um, and, and working for people who are horribly marginalized by society um, in a variety of ways. Tell, can you tell us um, what kind of satisfaction do you get out of this? You know, it, it does it, – if most days feel pretty good. It's hard. You know, 10 years, you're kind of – it feels like Sisyphus. Um, you know, you're – like being a public defender for 10 years, you're constantly in crisis control. You're constantly putting out fires. I remember one of the last cases that I had in New York, I did a trial, and this this client of mine who was kind of a repeat client, um, I, I did a whole trial. I got him out of detention, and the next day, I think, he went to a block party and ended up back in detention. And it was kind of harsh, but at the same time, it, it kind of reminded me like, you know, you're not, my, my job is not to kind of save people's lives. Like people have circumstances that are beyond their control. They're beyond my control. And what you can kind of do is help people feel like they have an advocate and help people feel like there's someone who cares and who listens and who 
agrees that things are unfair or unjust and is willing to fight for them. And that I think I've seen that have a really positive effect on so many people, especially on kids, you know, working with kids for six years, mm-hmm. seeing that effect on them, seeing yeah. that kind of light bulb go off in their head um, is, is really nice. And so I think it's kind of keeping in perspective there's limits on what the law can do for people, right? So we file lawsuits and we try to get better law here. You know, we we represent some um, two students who were discriminated against in local high schools, trans students who weren't allowed to use the right bathrooms and locker rooms. And, you know, I, I can't, I, I probably, you know, I don't even know all the problems in people's lives. People's lives are complicated. I definitely can't fix every problem that people come to me have. But here is one way that I can hear them and help and push for the right outcome. And I, I think keeping that in perspective kind of helps you keep going. Well, Jess, I wish we had more time to talk because I love your perspective. I love your grit and I love all the work that you and gender justice are doing. So just please know, okay, you've got a friend here um, in Ellie Krug and, and the station at AM 950. We believe in you. We believe in the work that your organization is doing. Just keep doing it. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you so much, Ellie. Thanks so very much for being on my show, Jess. Everyone, we've been talking with Jess Braverman from Gender Justice, who um, is just, as far as I'm concerned, a rock star. Um, uh, please go to their website at genderjustice.us and, um, and con- uh, consider donating. When we come back from the break, I'll do my C block. Thanks so very much. If you're looking to save money on your home or building improvement project, check out Better Futures Minnesota's reuse retail warehouse in South Minneapolis. We carry salvage building materials such as cabinetry, flooring, plumbing fixtures, appliances, lighting, and more, saving you money and saving the planet by keeping these items out of the landfill, by giving them another life. Selections change daily, and we also take donations. Go to betterfuturesminnesota.com and look under Reuse Warehouse to learn more. Let us know AM950 sent you. And we are back on AM950, LE2.0 Radio. Jess Braverman, I don't know about you, but as soon as Jess talked about um, her grandfather being in the concentration camp, Birkenau, I, there was just a shot that went into my heart. And I, so I bring you idealists. I bring you people who literally are trying to make a difference in the world. And so – and I know many of you listening to me, you are idealistic as well. But I always say you can't be an idealist sitting on your couch. You got to act. You got to be acting. All right. This is my C block where I talk about me acting, about me doing certain things, about trying to change the world a little bit better. And so in the, you know, in the past, I have talked with you about the fact that almost everywhere I speak, now when I, even when I do it online, I have this thing I call I, – I make my standing offer which is I, I tell audience members pretty usually at the pretty close to the outset of my talk that I'm willing to meet with any human in a public place to talk to them about anything about being transgender or being gay or lesbian or bisexual or anything that has absolutely nothing to do with gender or sexuality and it's just simply about surviving the human condition. I make that offer. Um, it's a real offer and I don't do it because I think I'm like someone special. Come look at me but rather I make that offer because um, – 
I'm an idealist and, and one of the ways that we you know, can make the world better is to be there for other people. And so uh, this pandemic, the lockdown, has had a number of people reaching out to me for uh, to take me up on my standing offers. So in the last three weeks, I've talked to two transgender people who um, are pivoting their life. I mean, who are realizing that life is short and who are uh, heading down the path of being, of coming out as trans. You know, it's interesting. I will tell you, um, the very first time I ever went out in public as Ellie Krug, I mean, my God, get my book, Getting to Ellen, because I really described this whole whole scene of having – of it took me, you know, four hours to figure out how to put on makeup. Um, and my hair was very, very short at the time. But I – it was Pride of 2008. That was the Pride weekend. That was the very first time I ever went out in public – um, as me, as Ellie Krug. And so there's something about the combination of pride and combination now, the lockdown, the virus that's making people think about how life, how life is short. And so I, as I said, I've talked to two transgender people in the last three weeks where I've had good conversations about what does it mean to be transgender and, and things that they can expect as they're coming out. And most of all, it's providing, you know, moral support to them and, and letting them know that I care about them and that if they need to talk to me again, they can. And so I'm you know, grateful that people trust me to do that. Again, not that I'm anybody great. All that I am is simply a survivor of the human condition just like everyone else, just like all of you hearing my voice right now, all 22 of you who um, listen to this show. Now, um, I want to talk about one other thing before we're done, and that is this. Um, oh, well, hold on. I'm looking at my notes here and I, I guess I should reaffirm my standing offer is valid for all of you listening right now as well. So if you need to take me up, if you need an ear, if you want to talk about surviving the human condition or cer- certainly about gender or sexuality issues for yourself or someone in your life, you can take me up on my standing offer as well. All you have to do is email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. We will work out either a phone call or a Zoom session. Okay. Now, looking back at my notes, I need to shift. So for those of you hearing my voice right now, What have you learned in the last 8 to 10 to 11 weeks of lockdown? What clarity have you achieved? Putting um, anything that's self-centered aside, have you paid attention to what has happened to America? Do you realize that rather than coming together (laughs) – Our country has become even more divided along the lines of something as simple to understand as the need to wear a face mask in the middle of a pandemic. It is now a political statement one way or the other, whether you wear a mask or not. That is not by coincidence that that just simply happened. That is because of the division being sewn into the fabric of our country day in and day out by our leaders. And you know the big leader in chief who is doing that. And so um, I just want to remind you 
and you will hear me continue to come back to this, as I have talked about it in the past, we have five months to motivate humans to do something that they might not otherwise do because it's a hassle. That thing is to vote. Regardless of how the virus has changed you, and by all means, reach out to me if you need an ear, please start telling everyone you know that come November 3rd or in advance of it through mail-in ballots, they need to vote. It has to be an over-the-top, holy cow number of people voting on November 3rd. Otherwise, we run the risk of fraud and rigging allegations. As I said, I've talked to you about this before. I will continue to talk with you about it as we get closer to November 3rd. We have to vote in overwhelming numbers. I cannot imagine the depth of despair that many of us will feel if we do not overwhelmingly win in November. This is darn serious. The future of our country depends on it. All right, you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. A big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Uh, I think we're getting ready. You can go out and, and, and contact Bev and let her know that I recommend you. And to Better Futures Minnesota. A big thanks, as always, to my producer, Brett Johnson, who just keeps this show running and humming. Um, even with all of my gaffes, he's always papering them over just very fine. Thank you, Brett. And a big thanks to you, my listeners. I really appreciate that you follow the show, that you go to the trouble of the getting on the pod, getting the podcast. Please visit my website at illykrug.com. Most importantly, go out and do good and make the world better. Talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>